Nevertheless, I'm sure you have enough of my voice speaking in your ear this morning. I also want to welcome my favorite speaker. I shouldn't probably say that, but you're actually my favorite, Jenny. <laughs> uh, it's not to diminish your husband. He's awesome as well, but you're actually my favorite. And uh, she has an amazing story. Why don't you please welcome Jenny Gilpin this morning? I can't wait. I won't tell him. He's in Nelson this morning. It's good to see you this morning. Hi, if I haven't met you over the last number of days, I'm Jenny. And um, I'm going to come this morning and I'm going to share with you uh, the story of my life. Um, Thank you. I will need you back when the Holy Spirit comes again. (laughs) Um, I'm going to tell a little bit of the story of my life this morning. And and really, uh, my story today is not my story. It's the story of the the beautiful heart and hand of Father God. And um, you look at me today and you're already making judgments. You're thinking that's a nice shirt. How old is she? Um, All the questions you're asking, I'm 57 if you're wondering. (laughs) I have a 31-year-old son who uh, now lives in Sydney and he writes music for orchestras and ballet companies around the world. So he's a little bit um, crazily intelligent. (laughs) So um, before I start, so you can just place me um, so I live on the Gold Coast in Australia. Um, that is my reward because what you do not know about me is for 30 years I lived in Sheffield in the north of England. And uh, we just came back to Australia after 30 years, three years ago. So we pastored, we pioneered and planted a church in England when I was 25 years old, in 1991, uh, where we we drove into Sheffield, the skies were grey, the people were grey, the houses were grey, the coats were grey, and I thought, where have I arrived <laughs> on this planet? I was four months pregnant, uh, we knew nobody at all, but God had called us to plant a church on the other side of the world. So we were there for 30 years. And I, I had to say that um, to start, so you can understand where I'm going with my story this morning. And um you, you look at me now and you think, well, she looks like she has it all together and she's never struggled with anything in life. Um, well, um, I, this morning you're going to see just how much sometimes you can't read the book by its cover because God does such miraculous things in our lives. You sometimes can't even tell what people have been through because the power of God comes upon their lives and changes them forever. So I'm just going to paint a little bit of a picture of another part of my life in England, and then we will go back to the beginning. Is that good? So um, another thing that I did in England was about 20 years ago, I was challenged by God um, to start um, a charity, and it was one little house uh, rescuing uh, women on heroin, um, alcohol addiction, anorexia, nervosa, and many other life-controlling issues. And I started this one little house. And um, about two years in, the South Yorkshire police approached me and said, uh, would I uh, begin to take women that they were identifying as trafficked? And the long and the short of it, and I have to tell you this story to take you back, but the long and the short of it is um, that then we eventually got subcontracted to the British government and became the largest provider of victim care uh, for trafficking in the UK. Uh, I ended up with 170 staff. (laughs) And um, the most beautiful thing was we rescued over 5,000 people in the last five years we were there. So God just really used that story. But I had to paint that to take you back to the beginning. And um, 
at this vantage point in my life, I can see how much I not just dodged a bullet, but God took the bullet and turned it around. And um, the title of my message today is a ploy and a plan that what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. And um, there's this incredible uh, scripture in the Bible that was talking about a guy called Joseph. And Joseph had gone through hell and abandonment and betrayal and injustice. And God eventually brought him around to a spacious place where he could say, and it's in Genesis 41, it says, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And my dream for you today is that you would see that God can make you fruitful in the very thing that you've gone through and the very thing that you've suffered, suffered. And God can turn it around and cause you to be a help to many, many thousands of people. So I'll take you back to the beginning. I was born. Yes, I was, the 4th of February, 1966. But I was born in a single mother's home in Brisbane for unwanted babies was given away at birth and I now know that I was never held in my mother's arms um, at all, just given away, unwanted, unloved, um, left in this home for single mothers in Brisbane in 1966. And three weeks into me being in that home where I was barely held, um, a beautiful couple walked into this single mother's home by the name of John Ernest and Enid Dorothy Stewart. And they now cheer from heaven today. And they had been into this same single mother's home two years previously and had adopted my big brother, Robert, who is uh, fair-skinned and blue-eyed and blonde hair. And then they walked in two years later to adopt me, and I was olive skin and brown-eyed and brown-haired. This is fake. <laughs> and they went in um, to adopt me, and because I didn't match my brother, they turned around and, and exited the single mother's home. And my mum, when I was in my 30s, said to me, she said, Jen, something arrested me at the door. I didn't really know what it is, but I now know it's the Holy Spirit. And we were arrested at the door and we knew we had to turn around. So we walked in and we adopted you. And thus I became Jenny Enid. It's always been scar tissue, that name. <laughs> thus I became Jenny Enid Stewart. And I was adopted into this uh, amazing home uh, with parents that, that loved God. We went to a Presbyterian church as I grew up and um, parents that gave me every opportunity that I could have had. But there inside my little heart was a little girl that suffered incredibly with rejection, incredibly with inferiority and insecurity. And I remember my mum said that she can never remember a moment when I was a little girl that I ever had another child home to play because I just couldn't attach. And I want to give you hope this morning if you have attachment issues in your, in your soul, God the Holy Spirit can come and help and can come and step into your life. I had um, such a hunger to be loved and such a hunger to be accepted. Um, and I just had such a problem. I was almost chasing acceptance and perfection and popularity and belonging. I had a hunger within me. And now having dealt with many of incredible young women, I realize now you can flip two ways when you have this issue within your soul. You can flip into addiction or, or many of these things that will dull the pain, or you can make a decision like I did, and I remember the day I made the decision. And my decision was that in order to fulfill all these things within my soul, that I was going to decide to be good at everything. 
And so I became the girl that you hated at school. <laughs> and um, I joke now that I've um, got two artificial hips from doing that. Um, so I became the school champion athlete, the prefect, the hockey captain, the house captain, the athletics captain, the ducks at Brisbane Girls Grammar School in 1982. You know that girl you hated? That was me. And now I joke that all that running that I was doing is, all I basically was doing is developing artificial hips. So if you're running, stop, eat cake, <laughs> is my suggestion for you. But I was just um, chasing after this incredible sense and hunger for, for um, acceptance and love. And when I was 16, two weeks after I finished grade 12, my dad, my beautiful father that had brought me up, suddenly just died all very, very quickly, just passed away. And so I was left at 16 with no father, uh, with this incredible rejection within my spirit. And mum was completely grieving. I was meant to go and study economics that year. I don't know why. It would have been incredibly boring. But <laughs> and instead, I deferred our university when I was 17. And I just decided that year because I really didn't have a friend on the earth. And I decided that year that if Jesus' love was real, I was going to find it. And so every night I would come home from work and sit on the end of my bed and I'd cry out to God. And I can honestly say it was like I'd come home every day and Jesus was in the room waiting for me. I got to know God in an incredible way at 17. But you've got to understand that there's still such incredible rejection within my spirit. Long story short, I went to Bible college and I, I met Dave the night I finished <laughs> and um, thus began the roller coaster of my adulthood. <laughs> and um, we end up across the other side of the world after six years youth pastoring in Australia. Here I was just pouring out my life for other people, but uh, deeply, deeply scarred in my own spirit. And I want to give you a tip for free this morning. You just keep loving on people. Even when you have pain, God the Holy Spirit will sneak up behind your back and heal your heart. Just keep giving. And so long story, my, my son, my beautiful six foot three son, um, was born. He wasn't six foot three when he was born, <laughs> but he was nine pound two. <laughs> and uh, when Ryan was born, I thought to myself, uh, I owe it to the next generation to deal with the issues that are in my spirit. And so I decided at that point, I was about 26, 27. I decided, I thought, if I reached out and found out who my birth mother was and my birth father, that I would solve the rejection issues in my, in my soul. And so they changed the law in Queensland about that time. I was over the other side of the world, but I wrote off and you could get your original birth certificate. And so I get this original birth certificate back and the address of my birth mother was a cattle station way out in the bush in outback Queensland. And so, and there was no father's name on it. And I um, discovered my name, my birth name was Kim Ann Salter. Just call me Kim. <laughs> and uh, so I rode off to this cattle station from England. And of course, these properties are handed down through the family. And my uncle was still on the property. And so three months later, I get a letter. And it's from my birth mum, Heather, who's five foot one. And I discovered that Heather has had uh, four more boys and a sister. So I have four half-brothers and a half-sister. And one of my brothers uh, played for the Wallabies. Sorry, sorry All Blacks. 
and he's now the uh, Australian rep on the World Rugby Board. So quite a family. And so we rode across the world for about six months and eventually I go back to Brisbane on the day that I go to meet my birth mum and I get my beautiful mullet perm into a French plait for the day and extra large shoulder pads. It was the 90s, kids. <laughs> and um, so I go to uh, meet my birth mother, Heather, in Queen Street Mall. And we sit down and I look like her and it's a wonderful day. And I show her photos of me as a baby and she's weeping because she, she never got to hold that baby. And you've got to understand that I'd gone into this whole situation looking for healing in my spirit and a deliverance from rejection. And she looks across the table and she says to me, Jenny, I suppose you want to know who your father is. I longed for fatherhood. I lost my dad at 16. And she looked me in the eye and she said, Jenny, she said, I was gang raped and you're the baby. What do you do with a moment like that in your life? I felt more unwanted and more unloved and more unplanned and all those emotions. But God. But God. And so I began the greatest journey of fatherhood in my life. And God gave me my life verse, which is Jeremiah 1 verse 5. It says, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. How is it even possible that this baby of a gang rape could be planned in the heart of God before it was even born? But God knew about me. He planned me and had destiny written upon my life. And there, there is destiny written upon every one of your lives this morning, however you were conceived, whatever you've been through, the hand of God is on your life from the beginning of time. And so God gave me this passage of scripture in Ezekiel. And I'm going to read it to you this morning because it's the story of my life. But it's also a beautiful picture of how much Jesus loves you and how much he cares for you. So let me read it to you. On the day you were born... Your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by. There he is. Then I passed by and I saw you. He sees you today kicking about in your blood, and as you lay there, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field, and you grew. And later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you a solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put fine sandals of leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. See, ladies, it's there. It's in the scripture. It says I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck in Jesus' name. 
And then it says, because the splendor I have given you has made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. Right at the beginning, I said that God caused Joseph to be able to forget all the trouble of his father's household. And so now, this is what I really want to say today. Are you ready? Poke your neighbor and say, are you ready for her now? She's coming for you. Your past can either be a container or a springboard. And I remember a meeting like today when God challenged me at age 28. Jen, are you going to allow your past to be a container or a springboard? It's your choice. Because we can stay in the place of victimhood or we can allow God to come and sit upon our story and use it. And so God began to promise me three things. Are you leaning in this morning? The first thing he promised me was, he said, Jan, I'm going to give you divine forgetfulness, which at 57 is a great excuse. <laughs> but when I wake up in the morning now, I don't think, oh, Jen, you're the baby of a gang rape. I think, Dave, where's my coffee? And he dutifully has brought me a coffee every morning for 20 years. He's a wonderful man when he remembers me. <laughs> it's because God has given me to forget not the fact that I'm a baby of a gang rape, but he's given me the ability to forget the pain of that fact. That God can lift the pain of what you've been through right out of your life. It's forgetfulness for the aftermath of pain. And the Bible tells us that the past is not a place to linger. Let me prove it to you. Isaiah 43. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? See, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The trouble with us, are you ready for me, church? We love to have a good drape around pain. We love a good linger, don't we? We love to get the marshmallows out and toast ourselves over the fire of inconsequence. We love to have one eye open and one shut, hoping the pastor will see us in our pain. Instead of taking the word of God and applying it to our lives, come on somebody, and saying, I'm going to do something with this. You thought it was nice. <laughs> the second thing God promised me was divine fruitfulness. So there was a moment probably five years ago, and I shared it at a conference, but we had um, nine locations of our church all over England, and in every city that we had a church, we would put a city hearts house for my charity. And every week we would have survivors of trafficking men, women and children coming to drop-in centres in these places all over England and in Ghana and in the Netherlands and in Scotland. And I remember going into our building in Sheffield one week because I couldn't paste on social media what we were doing because we were hiding people and we were rescuing them from very, very nasty people. And I remember walking into the foyer of our church one week, and I saw 35 prams. I've actually got a photo of those prams on my phone. And it dawned on me, because what happened was the traffickers, when the women they trafficked, 
for sex slavery. They got pregnant. They would chuck them out on the bus stops and train stations at eight and a half months pregnant all over England. And we would take them and care for them and their babies would be born. And I looked at these 35 prams and I realized that every one of those prams signified the baby of a gang rape. And every one of those babies was me. God promises you divine fruitfulness in the very, very area that you have suffered. There's truly no experience or trauma or past reality that God cannot use for his glory. God wants to bless you however painful and restrictive your world has been. It said that to Joseph that he would make him fruitful in the land of his suffering. His story was not meant to be dismissed. It's meant to be used. It's meant to be fruitful. There's an amazing verse in John chapter 12. It says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. There's not death in this room this morning. There's seeds. There's seeds this morning that God wants to multiply. There's pain that you've been through this morning that God wants to breathe upon and turn it into something very, very productive for his glory. That's what he wants to do with your pain. Today, for many of your lives, the multiplication begins in Jesus' name. And then the last thing God promised me was divine authority. The amazing thing about Joseph is that he became second in charge of the very land in which he'd been betrayed and rejected. I could preach on the tabernacle, never have, never will. But I could, and broken people will be healed in the meeting because God's given me an authority over brokenness. That's what God's given me. He's given me an authority over brokenness. What authority does God want to plant upon your story today? What does he want to do? God's given me an authority to restore. Authority over pain, spiritually and physically. God has assigned to me the anointing of a deliverer. But I pray that deliverance will be the dawning of your life today. God wants to give you authority over the very thing you have suffered. I wonder if we could have the keyboard player and band up, please. Are you ready to respond to God? So I remember a moment, and I know I'm the only person in this room that ever does this. I was complaining to God. Because all my life there's this spirit of rejection that tries to chase me down and I have to have my AK-47 of Scripture (laughs) in my back pocket ready to bring out when the rejection comes my way. And I was um, in a meeting somewhere in Europe and I was just feeling really rejected. And um, I was complaining to God and saying, God, why did I have to be born this way? Like, why all my life do I have to deal with this? And the Holy Spirit said these amazing words to me. He said, Jen, become what you were never given. I want you to develop shoulders so broad that other people can stand on your shoulders and touch the heart of God. That's what he wants to do for you today. God wants to give you authority over what has contained and confined you. He wants to assure you he has a plan for you. 
Who knew? When I drew a line in the sand almost 30 years ago, how many thousands of lives stood on the other side of a decision? For many of us today, we need to make that decision. Because I'm smart enough to know in a room like this represents a lot of stories. Because life involves a lot of life. (laughs) What are we going to do with the stuff that we've been through? I want to show you today how much God wants to redeem our lives. Because there's an extra little bit to this story. Four years ago, I did Ancestry.com because I wanted to find out why I was so tall. And who was I? Discovered I was quite a large proportion Scandinavian, Norwegian and Swedish. But I got more than I bargained for because I got matched on Ancestry.com with a brother from my father's side. So four years ago, I discovered who the rapist was. Discovered I had six more brothers. You need a flow chart. (laughs) I've got 11 brothers. But I also discovered in all those years that I've been praying for whoever my father was and whoever my family was. That 10 years before, I'd been in a meeting sharing this story in Townsville in North Queensland. And two of my brothers had been in that meeting And they heard me preach, not even knowing that I existed. I discovered a lady I know very well grew up next door to my birth dad. And I know that before he passed, he heard about Jesus. I know that all of my brothers have heard about the Lord. And literally six months ago, one gave his heart to the Lord. In the last two years, I've met four more. These are the brothers that asked me, Jen, how do I stop getting into trouble? And I said to one of them, well, first, stop hitting policemen would be a good start. One side's orthopedic surgeons and the other side are the crims. Which makes me greatly poised to understand humanity. I wonder if you'd stand with me this morning. We're going to perhaps just respond to God in our seats this morning. But for some of us, we really need to make a decision. Otherwise, we can remain locked within pain or locked within brokenness. What the Holy Spirit beautifully does when I pray in meetings like this is he takes the thread of the Holy Spirit and stitches up hearts. But then, after today, when we've drawn a line in the sand, we need to make a decision. God, would you come and would you use my story? God, would you come? I had no idea when I stepped out. Like I said to conference, I'm Jenny from the block. I'm the baby of a gang rape from the back of Brisbane. I'm nobody special. I just made a decision. And I made a decision to believe that the power of God on my life was more powerful than my story. 
And so I wonder in a moment, I'm not sure exactly what to do. As pastor says, you don't really know what to do. Would you like me to cause them to respond this morning, pastor? Okay. So this is going to be a brave day for some of you today. We're going to draw a line in the sand. And if you really, really want to draw that line in the sand over your brokenness, over what you've been through, then I'm going to ask you to step out and come right across this altar this morning. Now, when you make that decision, you've got to not care a fig what anybody cares about. I remember when I was 11 and I was at the cool kids in the back row of church and the pastor said, do you want the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And I wanted the cool kids or did I want the baptism in the Spirit? I lost the cool kids, got the baptism in the Spirit and it changed my life. What do we want? Do we want the power of God to come and take a hold of our stories? You don't know what God might build on your life. You might touch all of New Zealand with your life. You've, you've got no idea. Your story might touch and change the world. You've got no idea. So those of you that have been with us the last three days, you know that I, this is what I do. Okay, I do quick altar calls. We don't wait for, for Beryl to get here first. Been in church a long time. Sorry if there's a Beryl here today. God bless you. But I'm an Enid, so you know we're, we're there together. I'm going to count to three. And we're going to respond to God today. I don't do two and six eights. The girls are coming already. Good. Oh, my goodness. God's going to touch you. Okay, I'm going to count to three. If we want God today to please come right on up here because I can't reach that far. I'm going to count to three. Are you ready? And we're going to ask God to come and take our stories today. One, two, three, right across this place. Come, come, come. Men and women, men and women. Ask God to come and stitch up the pain in our hearts. Take our brokenness. You need to have those scriptures in your back pocket. Don't talk to me. Thank you very much. I got my breakthrough yesterday. So after I drew a line in the sand when I was 28, I got some scriptures out and I became feral with my scriptures. And every time a thought would come into my head about how I was rejected, I actually had them in my wallet. Now you can have them on your phone. You bring it out and you quote it out loud, out of your mouth. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Call before the beginning of time. Psalm 139, Jeremiah 1 verse 5. All the verses that you need, you need to find them and have them ready and in your mouth. And begin to tell the enemy where he can go. He can jump off. Jog on. Thank you very much. My life, I've drawn a new life, a new place in the sand today. And God's going to use my story. And let me just say to you, every single person here this morning, I didn't know when I made that decision what God was going to do with it. You don't know. 